From the things aren't always as they appear file comes the following story. There was a school teacher who a school teacher injured his back during summer break and uh, had to wear a plastic um, cast or a plaster cast under the upper potty, part of his body and uh, it fit perfectly under his shirt and you couldn't notice it when he wore his uh, shirt and tie. And on the first day of the school term with this cast under his shirt he was uh, he found himself assigned to the toughest students in the school. So walking confidently into the rowdy classroom as they were running around throwing things at each other, the place was absolutely out of control. He went over to the window, he opened it as wide as possible. And when a strong breeze came flying through, it made his tie flap. He took the desk stapler and in full view of his class, he stapled his tie to his chest. (laughs) Everyone ran to their seats and was seated. And they never had a problem with that group of kids the rest of the school year. I like that. That's good stuff. There's a guy who was thinking ahead of time. But can you imagine? You know, the thing that's interesting about outward appearances is that they're not always as they appear at first glance. That's why it's important that we always examine the facts, we look at the evidence before we come to any conclusions. And a case in point is in our ongoing study through the book of Romans, we've come to three chapters specifically relating to how God has, is, and will deal with the nation of Israel. How he has in the past is chapter 9, how he is in the present is chapter 10, and how he will in the future is chapter 11. You know, Paul uses the nation to demonstrate the faithful, righteous, just, and gracious character of God. You know, as I was thinking about that, all of us as believers should be excited and comforted by the fact that how God deals with Israel is a great indicator of his consistent character as he will deal with you and I who have come to faith in Christ. It's a wonderful truth and a wonderful reality. And if you've got your Bibles open with me to uh, Romans chapter 10, as we come across one of the most beautiful phrases that we'll find in all of Scripture, a very simple phrase, but yet so profound, whoever calls. In Romans chapter 10, we read these words. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that man, Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks thus: Do not say in your heart, "Who will ascend into heaven?" That is to bring Christ down, or "Who will ascend into the abyss?" That is to bring him up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In this passage, the theme that's introduced for us is Israel's present rejection. Uh, Paul moved from two things that we looked at the last time we were together. Paul moves from the sovereignty of God, or God's sovereignty, to man's responsibility. 
And what we mean by that is simply this. In the past, in, in chapter 9, we realize that God called or chose Israel from all the nations of the world. That has to do with his sovereignty, his sovereign choosing. God does what he wants, when he wants, because he's God and it's consistent with his character. But we also see there's a responsibility that man has, and that's what we're going to look at in chapter 10 as well. And so as we look at this, his continuing theme is that which was introduced to us in chapter 9 that has to do with righteousness. In fact, another uh, a title that would be appropriate for this message would be the righteousness of God or the wrong righteousness. You know, and the wrong right, possessing the wrong righteousness is a, is a fatal decision. And that's what he wants us to understand as well as, as the nation of Israel to understand that there is a righteousness that is lethal or deadly or fatal. And then there's the righteousness of God. And uh, so there's a difference between the two. There's God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. You know, in, in chapter 9, we clearly saw that, that God does, what he does is always according to his elective purposes. That he doesn't make mistakes. You know, I like that because you and I will never hear God. You know, have you ever heard or been in a home where somebody's in another room in the house and you hear someone go, oops? And, and, and you know, the first thing is like, what, what do you mean, oops? I was out in the, in the uh, we had a guy who was putting in some lights in our uh, family room, this recessed lights. And I was out in the garage and I heard him with this big drill, but, and then I heard him go, whoo, that was close. Well, you know, that kind of gets your attention. So I thought I'd go check it out. And he comes in and he goes, wow. He goes, I didn't realize that all the upstairs bathroom plumbing was running through that Joyce Bay. Woo! That was close. And I think, man, can you imagine? I'm just so glad that you and I will never hear God go, oops. Or, uh, 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 oh, made a mistake. Or, my bad. You know, those are things that God will never say. I love that, you know. And so as we're going through this, we begin to realize there's a purpose behind everything God does. He doesn't operate in any capricious type manner where he just flippantly decides to do something with no thought. You know, just a, there, there's a purpose behind what he does. Now the question is, does that mean that you and I will always agree with his purposes? And the answer is, probably not. But it still doesn't change the fact that he's God and we're not. Let me give you an illustration. The last time we were together last week to illustrate this whole idea of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility and try to put it in a way that, that we can comprehend it to some degree, uh, I chose a person in the audience to give a gift certificate, a $10,000 gift certificate <laughs> or something close to that. I can't remember exactly how many zeros, but I chose to give them a gift certificate. Now, was it at random with no thought? No idea, no comprehension of what I was doing? Or was there a purpose behind it? Now, some of you may think, well, it was just a random act. There was no purpose. There was no design. There was no reasoning behind it. But I can choose to reveal that reason to you or choose not to reveal that reason to you. And the struggle that we have is, is that when we don't fully comprehend the reason, or if I do tell you the reason and you don't agree with the reason, it still doesn't change my prerogative in doing what I chose to do for whatever purposes that I chose to do it. Now, we could guess for hours here, it would be interesting to have you know, all of us give some feedback. Well, why do you think I chose the person that I did? What do you think the reasoning of it? What was the purpose behind it? And we could go all through and we could have hundreds of different suggestions as to why I did what I did and, and why I should have done it a different way and why you should have got it now that you know it's $10,000 and, and, uh, and why you know, that person shouldn't have. We could go back and forth and discuss it, but you know what? It doesn't really make any difference. So to save some time, I'm going to tell you right now. I chose that person to give that gift certificate to 
because the reason in my mind was he was the only guest last time who actually stood up. Now, all of you who are guests today are thinking, why don't we come last week, especially the people sitting in the front row? That guy was way in the back. And by the way, I love the look on your faces when you saw me walk down this aisle. Because some of you are thinking I should have a chain that would only let me reach to about right here. But as I got closer to you, man, you were really kind of like one. What's he doing? And I, some of you are going like, wake up, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And so, you know, you got to do those things every now and then, you know, to kind of keep people on their toes. But, but that is the reason. That was the purpose. That was why I did what I did. Now, you can say, I don't agree with that, but it doesn't matter because that's what I did. Now, how do we tie in? That's what the idea of sovereignty is. To do what you do according to the purposes that you have in mind when you do it. And God has a purpose behind everything that he does. Do we always understand it? Do we always agree with it? Is it always revealed to us at that moment in time what the reason is? No. But you know what? Do we trust him? See, that's the issue. You know, Job said, you know, I don't really understand why God's doing or allowing to be done to me what he's being done. But I know this. You know what? Though he choose to slay me, I will still trust him. He didn't understand what was going on. He didn't know the spiritual warfare and the battle that was taking place that God revealed to us that we understand what was going on behind the scene. He didn't understand any of that. At that moment in time when he was going through it, he was probably just as confused as you and I when we go through what we go through. But the issue is this. Can we get to the point in our life as he did in his life where he said, you know what, I don't know what God's doing. I'll be honest with you. I'm not really sure, but I know this. Though he choose to slay me, I'm still going to trust him. I don't know. Think of Daniel's friends, the same thing. You know what, if he decides, if God decides to spare us when they, throw me in the fire, when they throw us in the fiery furnace, hey, that'd be great. But if he decides not to, we're still not going to worship your false god. Whatever God does, he does for a purpose and a reason. And you know what, I'll accept that. Because he's God and I'm not. You know, I don't know about you, but there's a point in my life where I need to get to the point more and more where, and I should, and I, and I should know better by now. As I look back over how God has, has worked in my life and begin to realize that he has always done a better job with my life than I ever could do or ever thought I could do with my life. He has always led me in a direction where if I followed him and was obedient, he always led me to where my heart's desires were versus what I thought they were. Commit your desires to the Lord and, 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 and commit your ways to the Lord and he gives you the desires of your heart. As, you, as he leads you and you follow him, he takes you where he wants you to go, but at the same time, it's where you want to go as well. Isn't that great? Which relates to what we're going to talk about as far as how do, you, how, do you, how do you juggle this whole idea of God being sovereign and choosing to do what he does versus man's responsibility. Let me use the same illustration. When I went down and I offered the gentleman who I offered the gift certificate, the gift certificate, did he have any say in the matter at that point? Did he or not? Absolutely. What, what could he have done? He could have said, stay away from me, you lunatic. And I'm never coming back again. Or he could have just said, as he did, he just reached out, he accepted it, and said, thank you. Man's sovereignty, God's responsibility. I mean, man's, man's responsibility, God's sovereignty. Isn't that great? You know, one of the most beautiful things is this. Nowhere in the Bible does God ask to choose us to choose between these two truths. Nowhere. Because they both come from God and they're both true. He doesn't ask us to choose one or the other. They both come from God and they are both true. They don't compete with each other. They cooperate beautifully. 
I like what the... Even though we can't fully understand it, and there are many things that we'll never understand. You know, the Bible says we see dimly, but one day we'll see them face to face. You know, we don't always understand everything now, but one day we will. You know, and what's beautiful about it is this. God holds us responsible for what we do understand today. And not only for what we do understand today, but also for the fact that he wants us to understand more and more every day. We can't take the attitude that, you know what, the less that I learn about God, the less he'll hold me responsible and accountable for. That's not true. Because the word of God says we're to pursue God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So we're to pursue him. And as he reveals and continues to reveal more and more about himself and also about us, we are held accountable for that knowledge which we gain along the way as to what we do with it. I love this quote, and I want to share it with you because when, when a man asked Charles Haddon Spurgeon how he reconciled God's sovereignty with man's responsibility, he said this, I never try to reconcile friends. Is that great? That sums it all up. I never try to reconcile friends. Why? Because there's no need to reconcile friends. Friends are in harmony. And God's sovereignty and man's responsibility is taught beautifully in harmony all throughout Scripture. So we shouldn't try to reconcile it either because it's not even possible. We have to understand what it says and then we accept it by faith. The evidence is there. Um, the same sunlight that melts, I was thinking the other day, the same sunlight that melts when I grew up back east, the same sunlight that melts ice and snow also hardens mud into clay. And the two work in beautiful harmony together. And so as we consider that, it's important to realize that God's sovereignty, man's responsibility is laid out very clearly. And now what Paul is going to do is introduce to us the fact that God holds man responsible for what we do with the information that he gives us. We are held accountable and we're held responsible. And he's going to lay out the reasons that Israel rejected God and his Savior. The reasons for the rejection of God and, and his Savior. And that's basically what chapter 10 is all about. And so we're going to look at it and go through it. Notice, having stated the fact uh, of Israel's stumbling and rejection in, in, in uh, chapter 9, he proceeds and follows now to explain the reasons for their rejection. Notice in verse 1. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, speaking of Israel, is for their salvation. You notice if you go back to verse uh, 30 of chapter 9, it says that, What shall we say then? The Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, didn't arrive at that law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as the scripture had written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. What he was saying was, and clearly identified, that they did not accept Christ as God's Messiah or Savior, the promised one of God. And, and the reason for it is, is that they were pursuing a righteousness of their own, and they didn't accept what God's plan was for their salvation. They are lost, and Paul recognized that, and his prayer for them is, you know what, my prayer is that they would be saved, that they would find, quote, salvation. There was a time when Paul would have heartily agreed with his, with his brethren and that, you know what, that he could see very clearly, for example, they considered Jesus to be an imposter and Israel considered the Gentiles in need of salvation, but certainly not the Jews. 
In fact, Jesus in several of his parables pointed out this wrong attitude. One such parable, and you can read it on your own, is the parable, some would call the parable of the prodigal son. I like to look at it as the parable of the faithful father. But at the same time, it has to do with highlighting or focusing upon the elder brother. If you know anything about the story, you know, the prodigal son went wayward and ended up slopping with pigs. And, the, and the, you know, the servants at his father's house lived better than he did. He came to his senses, the Bible says, and he repented of his sins. He went back and the father came running to him. But the elder brother had a really bad attitude about it. It was like, what are you doing forgiving him and what are you doing having a fatted calf and sacrificing him? In Luke 15, read it because it's a beautiful illustration of what Jesus warned and that is this, that there are those, the Jews specifically, who looked at the rest of the world, Gentiles, and said, I understand why they need forgiven, but we certainly don't. And in fact, turn with me to Luke chapter 18, a great illustration of what is being mentioned here in Romans chapter 10. In Luke 18, verse 9, we read these words. It says, And Jesus also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves. Notice that very clearly. Who, who is this being told to? Those who trust in themselves. You know, what does the Bible say? Proverbs 3, uh, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Trust in the Lord versus trusting in yourself. There's only two ways to live life. We either trust God or we trust in ourselves. And what he was referring to very simply was there was a group of people who trusted in themselves and their own understanding and their own program and their own way of salvation and their own way to get to heaven and their own way to please God versus the, the plan that God laid out and said you better believe my way because it's the only way. He says he told this parable to those trusting in themselves. Notice what he says, that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. What he's saying was, hey, they thought there's nothing wrong with us. It's everybody else that's messed up. He says two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax gatherer. Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Can you imagine? God is hearing this prayer. God, thank you that I'm not like these people out here. Woohoo! Man! You know what? I'm just thank you, God, that I'm not like, man. You know what I'm saying. And God did know what he was saying. He says that the tax gatherer, but contrast, the tax gatherer standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me because I'm a sinner. I tell you this, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Isn't this beautiful? Notice what he says, the one who said, God, forgive me, for I recognize that I am a sinner, consistent with everything that we've studied throughout the book of Romans. Forgive me, for I recognize that I am a sinner. Notice what Jesus said. That man is justified. To those who God calls, he justifies. To those he justifies, he sanctifies, which means he makes us more like Jesus. To those who have been sanctified, he has also what? Glorified. Isn't that wonderful? See, Paul clearly identifies those who would not accept God's plan, the righteousness that God offers in Christ and in Him alone. He clearly identifies those who will not accept that plan as lost, 
as sinners, as guilty, and as condemned before God. See, man has a choice. God is sovereign. He calls man. He calls man with the message. You're a sinner. You're lost. You're condemned. You're guilty. You're busted. But I've sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross in your place. He rose three days later so that anyone and everyone, whosoever, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, man's responsibility to that message is to decide to say, thank you, you're right, I agree, and I trust in Christ and Him alone for the forgiveness of my sin, or no thank you, you're nuts, and there's another way, and we'll find it on our own, but thank you anyway. Or no thank you anyway. You follow that? See, the Word of God is like the sun that can melt ice. Or, as we reject that message, the same Word of God is like the sun that hardens the mud into clay. He's already told us that. From chapter 9, he said, take the example of two men. One was Moses and one was Pharaoh. Was there anything better about either one of them in God's sight? No. They were, all, they were both sinners. Neither were righteous. And in fact, if you do any study at all, you'll notice that both of them were murderers. Moses was a murderer. Pharaoh was a murderer. There was nothing good in either one of them. But God's message went out to Moses, and Moses agreed with God, responded with faith, and it was declared to him to be justified. Pharaoh, the message went out to him, and what did he say? No, I'm not interested. I'll do it on my own. On my own, man, I don't need anybody. And I especially don't need God because there's only one God and I happen to be Him at this moment in time. I sit on the throne of all of Egypt, the greatest empire in the world, and no one will cause me to submit or bow a knee to Him. And so he went toe-to-toe with God. Moses responded with faith and it was declared unto him as righteousness and, and just he was justified before God. And as a result, he was also saved from condemnation. But Pharaoh said, hey, you know what? I reject your offer. And because of the rejection of the offer that God made, his heart was hard. And not only did he harden it, but God at one point said, then I will harden your heart as well. Isn't that interesting? See, God is sovereign. But man is also held responsible for his decision. Make no mistake about that. We need to recognize that and understand that. See, the reason that for their rejection was they, didn't, they felt no need to be saved. You know, stop and think about it, man. That was like, you know, they felt no need. What, what do we need to be saved for? We're God's chosen people. I can understand why the rest of the world needs saved. They're all a mess, God, but we're not. You know, as I read through these passages, I couldn't help but think of all the so-called religious people of our day. You know, church members who, you know, sense no need of salvation. The kind of people that say, saved from what? What do I need to be saved from? I'm a good person. They rationalize, well, what do I need to be saved from? I'm not, you know, like the other people in the world. I'm not like the people who don't believe in God. I'm not like the people who have the little Darwin bumper stickers. I'm not like the people that, you know, are hanging out at, you know, happy hour all the time or lying, cheating, stealing in their business or, or, you know, cheating on their spouse. I'm not like any of those people. I, you know, I'm a religious person. What do I need saved from? I'm a good person. See, the... Let me just explain something very clearly that the Word of God doesn't mince words on, and that is this. You can be religious and still lost. You can be religious and lost. 
The Jews were very religious. And Jesus said, and accounted them among those who were lost. Self-righteous. Didn't need God. Trusted in themselves and not in God and his program and his savior. See, you can be religious and lost. See, Israel had been given, think about this. Israel had been given a God-given religion. Israel had been given a God-given religion and they were still lost. I find it fascinating and I'll tell you why. Because I know lost is lost, but think about this. How much more lost are those in the world today who believe a man-ordained, originated religion? Some guy or some gal comes up with some idea and they turn it into a religion and millions of books are sold. But how much more lost are they if Israel, who was given the God-given religion, was still lost before God? How much more so are those who are following the whims and the ideas of people that come along and say, here, here's my... I was flipping through the channels and there was this guy on there and I was like, what in the world is this guy? And he sells millions and millions of books and he was just sitting there at this table expounding upon all of his philosophies and opinions and ideas about life and eternity and and all that goes along with it. And I thought, what an idiot. He was an idiot. If I knew who he was, I'd even tell you who he was. Because you've got to stay away from people like that. Because, you know, oh, great, millions of people are buying books, so what? What does that mean? You can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. I mean, Israel had given a God-given religion, and they were still wrong. Israel had religion, but not righteousness. See, Paul's desire was that Israel, his brethren, would be saved. Point. Throughout Romans, we've learned a very simple yet profound truth. Man will not seek forgiveness from God until man learns that we have offended God. Man will not stop to seek directions until man has learned that he is lost and in need of directions. Man will never seek a Savior until we learn we need to be saved. See, that's what the whole book of Romans and all of Scripture details, that, you know what, we need to recognize our need for a Savior before we'll ever reach out for the Savior. Let me just tell you, the gospel that's taught in our culture today is not the gospel of Jesus Christ in many cases. The gospel that says, you got everything in this country. Man, isn't this great? Like our friend said, man, you got all, all the restaurants in the world and all the material things of the world. and Man, nice houses, nice cars, nice clothes, nice everything. You got it all. But something's missing is the gospel that we hear today. You just need to add Jesus to your life. What do you mean add Jesus to your life? That's not the gospel. The gospel is you don't add him because something's missing. The gospel is that you understand that without him you are eternally lost and condemned before God. That you are a sinner and that I am a sinner and the laws of God help us to understand that we all fall short of God's standard. That every one of us, you and I individually, are sinners and condemned before God. That's the gospel. And when we know that we're in deep trouble before God, then we'll cry out as this person did in Luke 18 that says, Lord, forgive me for I am a sinner and I'm not even worthy to come to you, but I just pray for your forgiveness. And the Bible says that that person is justified before God that moment in time. That a, a broken and contrite heart, God will never despise. We need to be very careful when we're sharing with friends and family and people around us and people that we work with that we share with them the truth of the word of God. It's just not add Jesus, come to church, read your Bible. It has nothing to do with any of that, although that may all occur after the fact. It has to do with you are in deep trouble and you are lost before God. 
And you're on your way to hell. You are judged and condemned. And you are not righteous at all. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we need to share that in a way that in somehow or another we speak the truth in love. Obviously, don't share with them the way I'm sharing with you right now. But the point is that we need to tell them the truth. See, because God is the ultimate authority. You know, I spoke this past week, I'm going to talk a little bit more about it, but there was, there was a, a large group of people, and at this table over there were a table full of FBI agents, and this table in front of me was a table full of Tustin police, and this table over here was the Santa Ana Police Department, and the table in the middle were all the justices and judges that sit in Orange County. And then I'm starting, starting to think, maybe they thought that, you know, they better bring in extra help for me. I, it's like, I don't know. But, but the question that I ask is, I said, you know, when someone is in a position of th- authority, it's their way or no way. You don't negotiate. This is the way it is. And every one of those tables were all nodding their heads. It's like, you know, if a, a police officer pulls you over, you can't say, let's negotiate this. You can try that, but then that breaks another law. <laughs> so, you know, you get in even more trouble. It's kind of like, here's the deal. You were going 80 and the speed limit was 40 and you were violating the law. You are guilty. You know, what are you going to say at that point? Good thing you didn't catch me yesterday. You know, what, you know, what, what are you going to say? And I say, hey, man, you know, the one time that you get caught makes up for the 50 times that we don't. Isn't that true? Every day I can get a ticket. No, I'm just, I was using that as an illustration. <laughs> but the point is, is that we're all guilty. And so what God says, you're guilty. And I'm the one who decides if you are or not. And I say that you are. Then what do we got to do? We either say, yes, you're right, and I agree. That's recognition. That's confession, agreeing with God. And say, God, forgive me for what I, what I am and what I do. What, what, now what, what do we do about it? Now we believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. We respond with faith to him. If God says that's the only way, that's the only way. That's it in a nutshell. See, they felt no need. You know, the good news and the hope is this. Paul believed that God was trustworthy when God said through his prophets, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel 3, 2.32. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Isaiah 28.16. See, Paul wouldn't have prayed for the Jews or gone to them with the gospel had there been no hope. The great motivator of every one of us that are here today is the words, whoever calls. Whoever, it's an open invitation for God so loved the world that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's an open invitation. Every one of us should be motivated and excited about the fact that God's open invitation is there. Whoever calls. It's wonderful. That should always motivate us. You know, this past week I mentioned that I was sharing at that breakfast that I spoke at, and they did a great job. The place was packed, and that 40% of the people there were, were, new, um, were, were people that were there for the first time. And, and the whole purpose of me coming was to explain to people how in my life God helped me to recognize or caused me to recognize that I was indeed a sinner and how and when I responded with faith to the finished work of Christ. For those of you who are not familiar with that, we call that a testimony. But that's what it is in, in English for everybody else. How God brought into my awareness that I was a sinner, that I was in need of being saved when I came to faith in Christ as my Savior. The room was filled with people. The guy who was standing next to me said, as he looked out over a mass group of people, and he said, you know, I see the same people, a lot of the same people that come week after week. He goes, you know what, but they've never made a decision. He goes, it's like, Water, you know, running off the duck of uh, the the back of a duck of a back, uh, or the back of a duck, and he was kind of like discouraged and disappointed. And I said, "Man, don't, 
as, as positively as I could. I said, but you know what the good, you know what's so great about that? See, we are not responsible for how people respond to God's message. We are responsible simply to share it. Isn't that great? I won't be in heaven because 60% of people that heard me tell how I came to know Christ signed up. Isn't that great? Doesn't matter. I'm responsible and I'll be accountable and I'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ for the purpose of giving an account for my life after I came to faith in Christ for the fact that I took advantage of the opportunities that God brought forth before me and I was faithful to deliver the simplistic message of the gospel that we are sinners, that God loves sinners, God sent Christ to die for sinners and you need to recognize that you're a sinner and you need to respond with faith to the finished work of Christ. That's the message. That's the good news. That's the great news. And it's wonderful to know that we're not held accountable for how people will respond to that. Now, to put that all into focus, we need to recognize and understand that we are responsible to, as the sower and the seed says, we are responsible to sow seed, to throw out seed, to throw out truth, to, to proclaim the truth of God's word. And guess what? God is the one who will cause growth if there's any growth to be caused. It takes all the pressure off of us to do anything other than what God has, has called us and equipped us to do. That's our responsibility. See, another beautiful example. It's just one more beautiful example of the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man working in perfect harmony. Let me ask you something. Have you given up on some folks? Because, man, I know there's people out there you talk to and they are really stubborn. But you know what? I'm amazed as I look back on my life how patient God was with me. Because when I first heard the gospel, I didn't immediately say, Hey, that's it. I was like, eh, I'll think about it. Yeah, whatever. Um, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you later about it. Uh, you know, I'm not interested right now. You know, there was a process that God took me through to come to a point of saying, hey, you know what? You're right. I am who you, you say that I am. I am a sinner in need of salvation. God, forgive me. Isn't that wonderful? See, if you've given up on somebody, why? God hasn't. Paul didn't. He prayed for their salvation. Second thing is this. They didn't see a reason for, to be saved, so, so to speak, because they were zealous for God. Look at verse 2, back at Romans chapter 10. It says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They have a zeal for God, but not what? Not according to knowledge. Man, they were zealous for God. Think about it. In other words, what they were saying was, Why would I need to be forgiven? Why do I need to be saved? Can't you see how busy I am for God? I mean, think about it. That was their defense. Ever since Israel returned to the, the, the land from Babylonian captivity, the nation had been cured of idolatry. See, in the temple and local synagogues, only the true God was worshipped and taught. They were zealous. They were so zealous that they thought they would, quote, improve upon God's word by adding traditions of their own that they held in the same standard as what God had given them more difficult to be pleasing to God. And they thought, man, you know what? Not only will we take what God's given us, we'll add what we think God should have added that he didn't. We'll put it all together as a package and hold everybody accountable to that. And as long as we live to that standard, man, you know what? Why do we need to be saved? Because look what we're doing. We're doing not only what God asked us to do, but more. Look how busy we are. Man, they were zealous, but they were ignorant. And ignorant isn't Arrogant, which we'll talk in a minute about, ignorant is they just didn't understand what they were doing. See, even Paul said that in 1 Timothy, read it in the first chapter, he says that, you know what, that God saved me 
because I did what I did in ignorance. I was zealous for God, but I was ignorant in my zeal. I was sincere, but in hindsight, sincerely wrong. Man, I was going, you know, it'd be like people today. It just amazes me. It's like church people today. You know, people today that think, you know what, I go to church. I go to church in the morning. I go to church. I go to, I go to Sunday school. I go to the second service. I go to the first service. I go to the evening service. I go to Wednesday night Bible study prayer groups. I go to our small group. I go, man, and I, I'm giving money and I'm doing all this good stuff. And I'm just, man, I'm just like, I'm zealous for God. I even play in a basketball league on Monday nights, but it's a church league. Um, you know, softball, do that too, man. I mean, like, I am just zealous for God. I am just busy, 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 busy for God. And they think because they're busy that somehow God has to say, oh, well, if you're busy, then that's, that, that's the other program that I have to offer. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what in the world? So, you know what? It's like, it's, who, who so, it's whoever calls upon the Lord that will be saved. Not whoever works for him. See, the Jews were working their way into heaven, or so they, they thought. You know, I was thinking about this in a way that you and I can understand. It would be as if our country got back to its biblical roots. We got back to, hey, you know what? Freedom of religion, not freedom from it. We got back to protecting the unborn children of, of our country. We got back to teaching creationism in our schools instead of evolution. We got back to the roots that this country was founded upon. And all that would be wonderful and all that would be good. But you know what? If we did all of that and thought that because we were doing that, instead of putting our faith and trust in Christ and in Him alone, His death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, we would be just as lost as the Jews who put all of their faith in what? In their laws and in their religion. They had religion, but they did not have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. See, that's the problem. They had faith in their law, but not in the Lord. And many of us who go to church today have mistakenly believed the same thing. Our faith is in our church. Our faith is in our denomination. Our faith is in the group that we associate ourselves with. And the Bible says that if we do not have faith in Christ and in Him alone, that we are just as lost as the Jews whose faith was in the laws instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be zealous and busy for God, but there are many who will stand before Christ one day and say, but didn't we do all these things in your name? And he says, be gone, for I never knew you. Yeah, you were busy, but what were you busy doing? You were busy being disobedient to the clear instructions of the word of God. My word is clear. It's faith in Christ and in him alone that one finds justification and righteousness of God that's in Christ, period. It's not an association with, quote, your church. We need to recognize that. I've got a lot of friends who are denominational church attenders who believe more than anything that their salvation is tied to that organization. In fact, one not too long ago came out in the front page of the paper and said, if you are not part of our denominational, organizational, religious group, that you cannot find salvation anywhere else. And it breaks my heart because there is salvation in no other name but in Jesus. No other name under heaven has been given to men so that men can be saved. We cannot mistake zeal for God with a relationship with Christ. Which leads us to this. The reason they didn't find that they needed salvation is they were proud and self-righteous. They were ignorant of God's righteousness in verse 3 for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. They didn't subject themselves to the righteousness of God. You notice that? 
Not known about God's righteousness. Righteousness of God is found in faith in Christ and in Him alone. What they did was try to establish their own righteousness. In simple terms, that means this. That there's a world that we live in that God says the only way you can get to heaven is belief and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And every other religious organization says, no, you've got to believe what we say, the only way that you can be found right before God. Raise your consciousness. Get to a new level, a higher plane. Inhabit a new planet. Do whatever it is that they come up with doing. It's like, wow, well, you know what? Well, that's interesting. The righteousness of man is no substitute for the righteousness of God that's in Christ and in Him alone. See, they didn't know God's righteousness and they were seeking to establish their own. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Let me be as blunt as I humanly possibly can. They were not guilty before God because they didn't know any better. They were guilty before God because they willfully rebelled and did not subject themselves to God's authority in their life. Listen to me. Any person who has clearly heard the gospel, that you are a sinner, that you are guilty before God, you will be condemned for all of eternity if you choose to be judged by God for your sin. God says, don't, I offer you an alternative. Jesus died for you, trust in him and him alone, and you will be found justified that moment in time. You will never pay the price for sin. He's paid the price for you. He died, he rose from the dead, he is alive today, he's coming back. See, anyone who has clearly heard that and said, I am not interested, whether it's for this moment in time or whether it's for the rest of your life this side of eternity, there is no excuse for you because what you are saying, in essence, is very simply this. I don't like your program. I don't want anything to do with it. I will not submit to it. I will not admit it. I will not admit I need a Savior. I would not admit Jesus is the only way to heaven. I believe, like everybody else that I talk to, that there's a lot of different roads that lead there as long as you're sincere, blah, 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 blah. God says to you, you have simply rebelled against my authority. You have tried to come up with your own way. And from the very beginning, that's the heart of man. When Adam said, God, I don't like your plan, but you know what? We'll come up with our own. And I'm looking for an overhead that just flew off. Where'd it go? Oh, it's up here. Oh, hi. Um, anyway, you follow what he's saying? He's there, you know what? They didn't feel because they were... And what is that? Very simply, that's pride and self-righteousness. I don't need God. I'll do it my way. That's exactly what they said. You know, Israel, they were ignorant of God's righteousness, not because they'd never been told it, but because they refused to learn and believe it. See, what's fascinating, if you think about it, they were proud of their own good works. They were proud of their religious system that they developed. They were proud of their own self-righteousness. They wouldn't humble themselves and admit their sins and trust in Christ. And Paul could relate to it because there was a point in his life, read Philippians chapter 3, where he understood and put all his faith in his, in his background, who he was and his history and, and all that he did. He says, but you know what? There was a day that came where I finally had to agree with God and submit to his authority in my life. I recognized I was a sinner. I responded with faith to the finished work of Christ. At that moment in time, he became a new creature, born again, the Bible says, from above, from God. How about you? Is there a point in your time where you finally realize that you can't do it on your own, that you've got to submit to God's plan and his plan alone, that you believe what he says, that you're a sinner, that you've also responded with faith to the finished work of Christ? Then the Bible says you're a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. It's awesome. You know, some of us just think a little bit too highly of ourselves as to affect sound judgment. I like what the, uh, 
The Presbyterian preacher Robert Murray McShane said this. He was passing out tracts one day and handed one to a well-dressed lady. In the tracts it said how all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, how we're all sinners and in need of forgiveness. She started to read it and she looked at him and said, Sir, you must not know who I am. And he said, Madam, there is coming a day of judgment and on that day it will not make any difference who you are. And isn't that the truth? See, all that's to remind us, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, another application, and I don't want to skim by too quickly, is this. You know, Israel's stubborn refusal to submit to God is true of the average churchgoer today. If you really stop and think about it, you know, we, we, we read the Bible, yet we fail to see any application in our own lives. I'm amazed at how many times I talk to people that say, well, and I, I know what I'm supposed to do. Well, then it's like, well, then do it. What do, you want, you know, what do you want me or anybody else around you to say, yeah, I know it's hard to be obedient, yeah, I know it's hard to put it into practice, yeah, I know it's harder to apply it, Blech. just do it. So, I mean, it's like your life's all messed up, why don't you just trust God and do what he's telling you to do? Try that. But here's the other thing, how many of you ever said this? You go, man, I wish so-and-so were here today. I wish so-and-so were here, man, because, oh, man, this would be absolutely, oh, this would have been perfect for them. Have you ever said that? Has, oh, this would have been perfect. Or, or you're sitting there like this, and I see it all the time because I see people do it. They're sitting there like this, and they're sitting next to somebody, and they're thinking that, and they're thinking they're going. Because I see those captions, you know? You ever see those in cartoons, the captions that come out of people's heads? I see that. I don't know if you know that, but I can see those captions coming out of your head. It's really a scary thing, but it really is very informative. But the caption sometimes is kind of like, I sure hope the person next to me is listening. That's the caption I see every time. Every time I see that boy, and it's kind of like they're going like this. <laughs> or you do the elbow thing. How I many you do the elbow thing? It's like, hey, just want to make sure you're awake at this part, because I'm thinking he's talking just to you. <laughs> Hello. You know, that's the way it is, right? So we all do that. It's just hilarious to me. It's kind of like, I uh, hope they're listening. Now, let me ask something. Are you listening? Amen. Hallelujah. But you know what I mean? It's like we're so worried about whether somebody else is listening. It's almost as if, wow, God doesn't have anything to say with me in this area because I pretty much got it all under control. And it isn't happening. See, that's what they thought. See, they thought, you know what? We got it all under control. And I sure hope all these lost people are listening because God's talking to them. Man, and God did everything that he could to make sure that he recognized, they recognized that he was talking to them as well. And to you and I. You know, there's nothing more discouraging or heartbreaking to see proud and self-righteous people. Kind of people. And I see it. You know, I see it all the time. We see it. You know, pastors aren't immune to it. Teachers aren't immune to it. Church leaders aren't immune to it. You know, we're all subject to being self-righteous and prideful. It's kind of like, boy, you know, I sure wish these people would start to listen. Because obviously they're just not on the same level that we are. And, you know, I see some of these people out in the business world. Man, they lie, they cheat, they steal. And you just kind of go, man, you know what? Why don't you start listening? See, because to be in any kind of position of leadership or authority, the Bible says we've got to meet certain qualifications that are laid out. One of them is not being double-tongued or double-minded to be sincere, which means don't be you know, two-faced. Don't say what people should be doing and then not apply it to yourself. 
Let me just tell you, several years ago, God really impressed this upon me, you know, because I believe that God calls people to ministry, but he also equips those who he calls. But one of the things that he really impressed upon me was this, and I'm going to challenge you to think about it. But in Ezra 7.10, it was a verse I was reading through, and it kind of, it became my life verse. And it's this. It says that Ezra dedicated himself to, to studying the word of God. Dedicated to do it. To know his purpose was to study the word of God. To not let anything else get in the way. Dedication, set in stone, non-compromise. This is what I'm going to do. To study the word of God. And then listen. Then to live out what he's learned. And then to teach the laws of God. And I thought, that's it, isn't it? For all of us, not just teachers of the word of God, but what about parents and what about business leaders? What about any of us who call ourselves, who have been called by God as Christians because we believed in Christ? What about any of us? To study the word of God and to know it. Then to live it and apply it in our life. And then we can teach because the opportunities will present themselves when people say, what is it about you that's different than other people? We're light, we're salt, we're examples. Then we can teach. I thought, man, that's it in a nutshell. I want to tell you from my own perspective, it is impossible for me to get up and teach that which I haven't already lived. That's why I hate when it's time to like do a marriage series. <laughs> no, just kidding. Those of you are, just kidding. You know, the retreat's coming. You know, it's just like, yeah. But I know what's going to happen. It's like, you know, if you're going to stand there, you're going to teach the principles of God, you better be applying them. And you better have studied them first. And you better know them. And that's just the way that it is. See, they were self-righteous and proud, and they even under, misunderstood their own law. And we'll close on this, but notice in verses 4 through 13. It says, For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. Notice that. All of their laws, their whole religion that God gave them pointed to Jesus Christ. Their temple worship, their sacrifice, their temple service, all the laws of God. The Bible says that the, the laws of God are a tutor to lead us to Christ. To help people realize they need a Savior and that Jesus is the Savior. It was a sign, a sign for, for man to follow. It's like a hospital sign. If you've ever seen as you're driving down the street, there's a hospital sign. The hospital sign in and of itself won't heal you if you're in need of medical attention. It'll tell you where to go to find the doctor who can do what they need to do to save you. See, all that God's laws do is it's a sign to tell you that, you know what, the, the law or the sign can't do anything for you. It leads you to the doctor, or in our case, the great physician who can heal us of our iniquities before God. Trust in Him. Everything points to Him. Everything that they had pointed to a Savior. Everything that they had pointed to Jesus. And they didn't even understand that. That's why when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, what do I got to do to get into heaven? Jesus looked at him and said, man, you're a teacher of the law? You're a teacher of all of Israel, and you don't understand what someone has to do to be right with God? Whoa, man, that's scary. But he ultimately came to faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone, which is awesome. Jesus is the goal. He goes through and he quotes, For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness of the law is based on law shall live by righteousness. If you're going to live according to the law, God holds you accountable to that standard. You say, well, I live a good life. I obey the laws of God. God says, fine. Then you try to obey him. But you know what? You violate one, just one dot. Or as he said, one dot or one tittle, which is a T crossing. He said, you violate one thing. You've, you violated all of it and you're guilty before God. You want to live by that standard? I'll hold you to that standard. But you know what? You'll never be able to achieve it because all sin and fall short of the glory of God. He goes on and says, but the righteousness based on faith speaks this way. Don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss to bring him up. But what does it say? Notice what he's saying. You can't work your way 
into forgiveness. You can't go into heaven, you can't go into hell, you can't go across the face of the earth, you can't go and do and try to do what you need to do. Everything is based on faith. Faith, he says. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. Notice this. God is here, now, in this place. I came to faith in Christ at a dining table, at a banquet, in a convention hall. I recognized I was a sinner and I responded to the finished work of Christ. And the Bible says that he was there with me and came to be in my life at that moment of time. My son and I were out for a run and he was riding his bike and he responded with faith to the finished work of Christ off the side of the Santa Ana River Trail on a bicycle and God met him there. The Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was on the road to Damascus and Jesus Christ met him there. You don't have to go somewhere. You don't have to do something. All you need to do as far as God is concerned is right here, right now. He will come and he will meet you as you are. We don't have to go through any hoops. We don't have to run any exercises. We don't have to go to heaven or out of space or somewhere else. We can find him because he's here, here and now. It's a wonderful truth. Some of you met him at a camp. Some of you met him in a church service. Some of you met him in your car. Some of you met him in your home. Some of you met him at your office. Because he is everywhere. And he is there listening for the prayer of the repentant person that says, God, forgive me, and I believe that Christ died for me. Come into my life. If you are here right now, he wants to meet you here now today. Today is the day of the Lord, and don't put it off. The Bible says here's all you need to do. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. There's no works here. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. You know, that's why Jesus said to all those religious leaders, your heart is far from God. Externally, everything looks good, but your heart is far from God. Why? Because God knows our hearts. He knows whether you're far from God today, even though you're sitting here. People think, oh, you're a church, but God knows if you are torn the universe. Because He knows our hearts. He says, with our hearts that we believe, resulting in righteousness, but with our mouth we confess, resulting in salvation. It's a whole package. It's not one or the other, and it's not one at one time and one at another time. All that God is saying this, make sure that what we're saying that comes out of our mouth is a reflection of what's really taking place in our heart. That's as simple as it gets. Make the tongue of your mouth and the tongue of your shoe go in the same direction. That's what God says. Just live out your faith. Be who you really are. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. That's what it says. Man, I love this. It's very simple. Notice what he says. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. The Jews are lost just as the Gentiles are lost. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you know what? And the Jews can be saved only the same way the Gentiles can be saved. And that is simply this. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that awesome? I spent so many years of my life trying to work my way into God's favor. There's nothing that will free you up more than realizing there's nothing that you can do that God did it all, that Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price. He died on the cross for you. He rose three days later, and he ascended in glory into heaven, and he sits at the right-hand throne of God, and he'll come again one day to judge every person, whether they have died before or they're living at that time. And that's the truth of the word of God. The question is this, have you called upon the name of the Lord? If you have, amen, praise God. If you haven't, get it right today.
because there's no guarantee that God will give you another minute of time. The same word that softens hearts or melts ice will also at some point harden that clay into mud or that mud into clay and you cannot presume upon the grace of God. If he's talking to you today, resolve it. Father, just thank you for your word. We just thank you for your love for all of us. Whosoever, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, an open invitation to every one of us, regardless of race or economics or, or, or background at all, regardless of even religious filiation, the Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the authority of Jesus Christ and him crucified shall be saved. God, I just pray for all that are here today that each one of us would have an assurance and a confidence and those listening even by tape would have a confidence and assurance that they know without a question in their mind that there is a day when they recognize their sinfulness and respond with faith to the finished work of Christ. For those who haven't, we just pray that today would be the day of the Lord. Today would be the day that they give their heart to you. And God, we just praise you in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.